Chapter Twenty Four of Black Ivory by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four tells of sad sights and sudden events and unexpected meetings. In the course of time our hero Harold Seadrift and his faithful ally Disco Lillehammer, after innumerable adventures which we are unwillingly obliged to pass over in silence, returned to the coast and, in the course of their wanderings in search of a vessel which should convey them to Zanzibar, found themselves at last in the town of Governor Litoti. Being English travelers they were received as guests by the governor, and Harold was introduced to Signorina Margarita. Passing through the marketplace one day they observed a crowd round the flagstaff in the center of the square, and following the irresistible tendency of human nature in such circumstances ran to see what was going on they found that a slave was about to be publicly whipped by soldiers. The unhappy man was suspended by the wrist from the flagstaff, and a single cord of coir round his waist afforded him additional support. "'Come away, we can do no good here,' said Harold in a low, sorrowful tone, which was drowned in the shriek of the victim as the first lash fell on his naked shoulders. "'Perhaps he's a criminal,' suggested Disco as he hurried away, endeavoring to comfort himself with the thought that the man probably deserved punishment. "'It's not the whippin' I think so much of,' he asked. "'That is the only thing as will do for some characters. But it's the awful cruelties that goes along with it.' Returning through the same square about an hour later, having almost forgotten about the slave by that time, they were horrified to observe that the wretched man was still hanging there. Hastening towards him they found that he was gasping for breath. His veins were bursting and his flesh was deeply lacerated by the cords with which he was suspended. He turned his head as the Englishmen approached and spoke a few words which they did not understand. But the appealing look of his bloodshot eyes spoke a language that required no interpreter. At an earlier period in their career in Africa both Harold and Disco would have acted on their first impulse and cut the man down, but experience had taught them that this style of interference, while it put their own lives in jeopardy, had sometimes the effect of increasing the punishment and suffering of those whom they sought to befriend. Acting on a wiser plan, they resolved to appeal to Governor Letoti in his behalf. They therefore ran to his residence where Margarita, who conversed with Harold in French, informed them that her father was in the Garissa or public palaver house. To that building they hastened and found that it was in the very square they had left. But Signor Litoti was not there. He had observed the Englishmen coming and, having a shrewd guess what their errand was, had disappeared and hid himself. His chief officer informed them that he had left the town early in the morning and would not return till the afternoon. Harold felt quite sure that this was a falsehood, but of course was obliged to accept it as truth. "'Is there no one to act for the governor in his absence?' he asked anxiously. No, there was no one, but after a few minutes the chief officer appeared to be overcome by Harold's earnest entreaties and said that he could take upon himself to act, 
that he would suspend the punishment till the governor's return, when Harold might prefer his petition to him in person. Accordingly the slave was taken down. In the afternoon Harold saw the governor and explained that he did not wish to interfere with his province as a magistrate, but that what he had witnessed was so shocking that he availed himself of his privilege as a guest to pray that the man's punishment might be mitigated. Governor Letotti's health had failed him of late, and he had suffered some severe disappointments in money matters, so that his wanted amiability had been considerably reduced. He objected at first to interfere with the course of justice, but finally gave a reluctant consent, and the man was pardoned. Afterwards, however, when our travelers were absent from the town for a day, the wretched slave was again tied up and the full amount of his punishment inflicted. In other words, he was flogged to death. For the incident on which this is founded we are indebted to the Reverend Dr. Ryan, late bishop of the Mauritius. This incident had such effect on the mind of Harold that he resolved no longer to accept the hospitality of Governor Letotti. He had some difficulty, however, in persuading himself to carry his resolve into effect, for the governor, although harsh in his dealing with the slave, had been exceedingly kind and amiable to himself, but an unexpected event occurred which put an end to his difficulties. This was the illness and sudden death of his host. Poor disconsolate Margarita, in the first passion of her grief, fled to the residence of the only female friend she had in the town, and refused firmly to return home. Thus it came to pass that Harold's intercourse with the Signorita was cut short at its commencement, and thus he missed the last opportunity of learning something of the fortunes of Zinte. For it is certain that, if they had conversed much together, as would probably have been the case had her father lived, some mention of the slave-girl's name could not fail to have been made, and their mutual knowledge of her to have been elicited and interchanged. In those days there was no regular communication between one point and another of the east coast of Africa and the neighboring islands. Travelers had frequently to wait long for a chance, and when they got one were often glad to take advantage of it without being fastidious as to its character. Soon after the events above narrated a small trading schooner touched at the port. It was bound for the Seychelles, intending to return by Zanzibar and Madagascar and proceed to the Cape. Harold would rather have gone direct to Zanzibar, but having plenty of time on his hands as well as means, he was content to avail himself of the opportunity and took passage in the schooner for himself, Disco, and Jumbo. That sable and faithful friend was the only one of his companions who was willing to follow him anywhere on the face of the earth. The others received their pay and their discharge with smiling faces and scattered to their several homes, Antonio departing to complete his interrupted honeymoon. Just before leaving Harold sought and obtained permission to visit Margarita to bid her good-bye. The poor child was terribly overwhelmed by the death of her father and could not speak of him without giving way to passionate grief. She told Harold that she meant to leave the coast by the first opportunity that should offer and proceed to the Cape of Good Hope, where in some part of the interior lived an old aunt, 
the only relative she now had on earth who she knew would be glad to receive her. Our hero did his best to comfort the poor girl and express deep sympathy with her, but felt that his power to console her was very small indeed. After a brief interview he bade her farewell. The voyage which our travelers now commenced was likely to be of considerable duration, for the Seychelles Islands lie a long way to the eastward of Africa, but as we have said time was of no importance to Harold, and he was not sorry to have an opportunity of visiting a group of islands which are of some celebrity in connection with the East African slave trade. Thus all unknown to himself or Disco, as well as to Margarita, who would have been intensely interested had she known the fact, he was led towards the new abode of our sable heroine, Azinte. But alas, for Cambira and Obo, they were being conveyed also, of course, unknown to themselves or to anyone else, further and further away from one whom they would have given their heart's blood to meet with and embrace, and it seemed as if there was not a chance of any gleam of light bridging over the ever-widening gulf that lay between them, for although Lieutenant Lindsay knew that Azinte had been left at the Seychelles, he had not the remotest idea that Cambira was Azinte's husband, and among several hundreds of freed slaves the second lieutenant of the Firefly was not likely to single out and hold converse with a chief whose language he did not understand, and who, as far as appearances went, was almost as miserable, sickly, and degraded as were the rest of the unhappy beings by whom he was surrounded. Providence, however, turned the tide of affairs in favor of Cambira and his son. On reaching Zanzibar Captain Romer had learned from the commander of another cruiser that Aden was at that time somewhat overwhelmed with freed slaves, a considerable number of captives having been recently made about the neighborhood of that great rendezvous of slavers, the island of Socotra. The captain therefore changed his mind and once more very unwillingly directed his course towards the distant Seychelles. On the way thither many of the poor negroes died, but many began to recover strength under the influence of kind treatment and generous diet. Among these latter was Cambira. His erect gait and manly look soon began to return, and his ribs, so to speak, to disappear. It was otherwise with poor Obo. The severity of the treatment to which he had been exposed was almost too much for so young a frame. He lost appetite and slowly declined, notwithstanding the doctor's utmost care. This state of things continuing until the firefly arrived at the Seychelles, Obo was at once conveyed to the hospital which we have referred to as having been established there. Azinte chanced to be absent in the neighboring town on some errand connected with her duties as nurse, when her boy was laid down on his bed beside a number of similar sufferers. It was a sad sight to behold these little ones. Out of the original eighty-three children who had been placed there, forty-seven had died in three weeks, and the remnant were still in a pitiable condition. While on their beds of pain, tossing about in their delirium, the minds of these little ones frequently ran back to their forest homes, and while some in spirit laughed and romped once more around their huts, thousands of miles away on the banks of some African river, 
others called aloud in their sufferings for the dearest of all earthly beings to them, their mothers. Some of them also whispered the name of Jesus, for the missionary had been careful to tell them the story of our loving Lord while tending their poor bodies. Obo had fevered slightly, and in the restless half-slumber into which he fell on being put to bed, he too called earnestly for his mother. In his case, poor child, the call was not in vain. Lieutenant Lindsay and the doctor of the ship with Cambira had accompanied Obo to the hospital. Now, Lindsay, said the doctor, when the child had been made as comfortable as circumstances would admit of, this man must not be left here, for he will be useless, and it is of the utmost consequence that the child should have some days of absolute repose. What shall we do with him? Take him on board again, said Lindsay. I dare say we shall find him employment for a short time. If you will allow me to take charge of him, interposed the missionary, who was standing by them at the time, I can easily find him employment in the neighborhood, so that he can come occasionally to see his child when we think it's safe to allow him. That will be the better plan, said the doctor, for as long as... A short, sharp cry near the door of the room cut the sentence short. All eyes were turned in that direction, and they beheld Azinte gazing wildly at them, and standing as if transformed to stone. The instant Kambira saw his wife he leaped up as if he had received an electric shock, bounded forward like a panther, uttered a shout that did full credit to the chief of a warlike African tribe, and seized the Zinte in his arms. No wonder that thirty-six little black heads leaped from thirty-six little white pillows, and displayed all the whites of seventy-two eyes that were anything but little, when this astonishing scene took place. But Kambira quickly recovered himself, and grasping Azinte by the arm, led her gently towards the bed which had just been occupied, and pointed to the little one that slumbered uneasily there. Strangely enough, just at the moment little Obo again whispered the word, Mother. Poor Azinte's eyes seemed ready to start from their sockets. She stretched out her arms and tried to rush towards her child, but Kambira held her back. Obo is very sick, he said. You must touch him tenderly. The chief looked into his wife's eyes, saw that she understood him, and let her go. Azinte crept softly to the bed, knelt down beside it, and put her arms so softly round Obo that she scarcely moved him, yet she gradually drew him towards her until his head rested on her swelling bosom, and she pressed her lips tenderly upon his brow. It was an old familiar attitude which seemed to pierce the slumbers of the child with a pleasant reminiscence and dissipate his malady for he heaved a deep sigh of contentment, and sank into profound repose. "'Good,' said the doctor in a low tone, with a significant nod to Lindsay, when an interpreter had explained what had been already guessed by all present, that Kambira and Azinte were man and wife. Obo has a better chance now of recovery than I had anticipated, for joy goes a long way towards effecting a cure. Come, we will leave them together. Cambira was naturally anxious to remain, but like all commanding spirits 
he had long ago learned that cardinal virtue obedience to whom obedience is due when it was explained to him that it would be for obo's advantage to be left alone with his mother for a time he arose bowed his head and meekly followed his friends out of the room exactly one week from that date little obo had recovered so much of his former health that he was permitted to go out into the air and a few days later lieutenant lindsay resolved to take him and his father and mother on board the firefly by way of a little ploy in pursuance of this plan he set off from the hospital in company with kambira followed at a short distance by azinte and obo poor lindsay his heart was heavy while he did his best to convey in dumb show his congratulations to kambira for he saw in this unexpected reunion an insurmountable difficulty in the way of taking azinte back to her former mistress not that he had ever seen the remotest chance of his being able to achieve that desirable end before this difficulty arose but love is at times insanely hopeful just as at other times and with equally little reason it is madly despairing he had just made some complicated signs with hands mouth and eyebrows and had succeeded in rendering himself altogether incomprehensible to his sable companion when on rounding a turn of the path that led to the harbour he found himself suddenly face to face with harold seadrift disco lillihammer and their follower jumbo all of whom had landed from a schooner which about an hour before had cast anchor in the bay mr lindsay mr seadrift exclaimed each to the other simultaneously for the reader will remember that they had met once before when our heroes were rescued from yoosoof by the firefly kambira shouted disco azinte cried harold as our sable heroine came into view obo roared the stricken mariner jumbo could only vent his feelings in an appalling yell and an impromptu war-dance round the party in which he was joined by disco who performed a hornpipe with obo in his arms to the intense delight of that convalescent youngster thus laughing questioning shouting and dancing they all effervesced towards the shore like a band of lunatics just escaped from bedlam End of chapter 24. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.